But today I want us to, I want to, you know, like give you a chance to not show up on uh, the first Sunday in 2021. I want to give you a a taste of what we're going to be doing. You might choose, I don't know if I want to go to that. I I want to introduce this idea of the importance of personal holiness. And I'm teasing you. Um, I said last week that Scripture describes you and me as priests. I don't know, do you feel like a priest? <laughs> um, scripture teaches us that we are priests, that we serve um, within a holy nation. Now, this is not, you know, Old Testament. This is New Scripture, New Testament Scripture that describes Christians within the church as priests serving within the holy nation, which we would, we would describe as the kingdom of God. Scripture also teaches us that we are building blocks and we are being built into a holy temple. Isn't that incredible? So I take from that that, that if we're going to be blocks that are creating a holy temple, if we are going to be priests, serving in a holy kingdom, that we better be holy. (laughs) We ourselves need to be holy. Each one of us has the mandate to be holy if we're going to be priests or building blocks, building a holy temple. The, The Hebrew word for holy denotes this, that it's being, it means to be set apart for divine service, to be set apart for divine service. And so I want to start today with a talk about something that I hope will explain two different uses of the idea of holy and holiness within Scripture. And to do that, I want to talk to you about being a father. Some of you know that my son Mitchell is in Uganda, and he and his wife, who's in Ohio, are going through the process right now of getting permission from the Ugandan government to adopt a little girl called Abigail. Abigail, her mother died during childbirth, and the father is uh, around not able, he's not able to support another child, and he is supportive of Kat and Mitch adopting this little girl, Abigail. Abigail has a biological father. He's still alive, and uh, like I said, he just this past week went to um, Kampala to uh, try to convince the powers that be that this is the best thing for this little girl. And as my, father, as my friend Charlie says, um, this guy over here, he said this quite often, you can't be half pregnant. <laughs> I love that. You can't be half pregnant. Now he says that when we're talking about things in which there is no disputable area. There's no gray area, right? It's an expression that he uses if there's no gray area. Um, he, he will say, well, you can't be half pregnant. Well, 
It's the same for being a biological father, right? You either are the father biologically or not. You either, that child either has your DNA or they don't have your DNA. Mitchell will never be Abby's biological father. She will not possess his DNA, right? But we are hoping and praying that one day he will be Abby's adopted father. I got to thinking, you know, neither biological fathers or adopted fathers are inherently natural fathers. Let me say that again. Neither biological, just because your child, the child has your DNA, doesn't mean that, you know, you're biologically the father, but that doesn't mean you're, you know what I mean, the fa a father to that child. This man who's being supportive of Mitch and Cat right now will not father Abby. Won't. Mitchell, who is not the biological father, but hopes to adopt, is not just once some court document is signed, all of a sudden, inherently an awesome dad or father, right? The fact of the matter is that um, to be a true father means to possess just this wealth of attributes that are developed through experience. I've been a dad for 32 years, and I am still learning how to be a good father, right? Um, Mitchell's 32, and then we have Owen, 30. And, you know, they'll, they'll be in therapy probably for the rest of their lives because they had me as a father. So I'm learning, right? I'm learning how to be a good father. It is just not a natural thing. Even if you're just maybe good at it, you have so much to learn about being a good father. So Abby's biological father will always be her father, but he has no interest in being Abby's father. While Mitchell will never be Abby's biological father, but he hopes to become a great father to her. He hopes to learn and grow and become what a father is. Okay, so all this talk about fatherhood. <laughs> Where am I going with this? And how does it relate to holy and holiness? Well, just like the term father has two different but related meanings, being holy and holiness in Scripture has two different but related meanings to God's people. I want to read from Hebrews 10, 1 to 10. Hebrews 10, 1 to 10. And uh, as I've been saying over the last little while, I'd encourage you to bring your, your word with you, your Bible with you. But I'll re read this out loud. Hebrews 10, 1 to 10 says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer 
have felt guilty for their sins. So if the law, which required sacrifices, was effective in making you right with God, after you did it once, you wouldn't have to do it ever again, is what Paul's writing, or the author of Hebrews, and you know what my opinion is there. But those who sacrifices are an annual, so, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you weren't pleased. Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And then the author of Hebrews says, first, Jesus says, Christ says, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you didn't desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. So he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Did you hear the word holy in there? By that will, by Jesus Christ being the one and only sacrifice that could actually make us holy, we are made holy. It's only by what Jesus did, that we become holy. And so he says, by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, when I wake up, <laughs> I don't really feel all that holy. Um, uh, you know, my, God, my concept of being holy is not what I'm like, <laughs> generally speaking. But I, I don't argue with Scripture. Scripture tells me by the virtue of by virtue of accepting Jesus Christ's salvation, I have been made holy. I am holy. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are holy. So to me, this means that anyone who's saved by the grace of God is holy. But kind of like if we go back to that father thing, it's kind of like the biological holy. You get that? Kind of like the, you know, the DNA has been changed. That you're a new creation. You're, you're, you're new. And biologically, you're holy. We've been given a new identity in God's eyes. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. So, I'm not holy. I, be, I give my life to Christ I am changed in God's eyes. I am a new creation. I got new end DNA. I got God's DNA. Okay, and I am holy. All right. A few chapters later, though, <laughs> the author of Hebrews writes these words in Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So he's saying, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. So I'll take the peace and everyone out, and I'll say, make every effort to be holy. So God is, on the one hand, the scripture is saying, 
you are holy. And then a few chapters later, he's saying, make every effort to be holy. It's confusing, right? In chapter 10, he writes about believers are made holy. And then two chapters later, he just says believers need to make every effort to be holy. How can both make sense? Well, I think this is where this framework that I gave you with being a father comes into play. Just like neither biological or adoptive fathers are by nature good fathers, but have to develop and grow into it, believers are not by nature good at being holy. They have to grow into it. When we become followers of Christ, accept his gift of salvation, we become God new in God's eyes. We become holy, but we are not by nature holy. So we have to make every effort to be holy. So my son Mitchell is not a father. He will become a father and he'll spend his life becoming a father. You get that? This is the premise upon which this personal, this series on personal holiness will be built. Through Christ, we are made new creatures, holy creatures, but we are not inherently predisposed to be holy. Actually, quite the opposite, Scripture says. And so we have to make every effort to be holy. How do we do this? How do we expend our efforts? How do we pursue holiness? How do we develop holiness? Those are the questions that this series on personal holiness are going to address. And quite frankly, it's the substance of Scripture. It's what Scripture is about. It's about holiness. Now let's consider for a minute the reason that this process takes so much effort. The writer of Hebrews says, make every effort to be holy. Why does it take so much effort to be holy or to be like God, to be Christ-like? Why is it such a big job? Well, the answer is rooted in a concept that I dare say is out now rejected by the vast majority of, of our family and our friends, to be honest, by our cultures for sure. And I would dare say even some within the church, this church and any church, frankly, the reason we have to put so much effort into growing in holiness is that we are by nature sinful. That soon will be hate speech in Canada, I'm sure of it. <laughs> if you call certain behaviors sinful, I am sure it will be identified as hate speech. I believe... Scripture teaches unequivocally that we are by nature sinful. Scripture doesn't teach that, you know, when that little baby comes into the world, that that little baby learns to be sinful. 
It's not what Scripture teaches. You are by nature sinful. That is really politically uncorrect, what I said. We might need to edit that on the tape. We are by nature sinful. This is why we have to put so much effort into growing into holiness. It's because we are by nature sinful. And so Paul writes to the Romans, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let me just explain that. Romans 5, verse 12. What Paul is saying is that when Adam sinned, all of his progeny, all of his descendants were by nature sinful. Everyone after him is sinful. DNA sinful. Biologically sinful. <laughs> okay? And so... He is saying, that's why people die. He's essentially saying, the reason why people die ultimately, and I'm not like talking about why in particular instances or you know, somebody died yesterday so they, we know that they sinned. Humanity does not live forever. Why? Because scripture teaches the consequence for sin is death. And so Paul is saying here, you see everybody dies ultimately? That just proves that we're sinners. We don't just die in the present. We die spiritual death for eternity, Paul says. That is what teacher, teacher teaches. That's what scripture teaches us. And then he goes on in Romans 7, he says, For I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me. Now, this is Paul. He wrote half, more than half of the New Testament. And he says, For I know good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. He said, I am a sinner by nature. There's nothing good in me. <laughs> I am sinful by nature. Why are we spending four weeks on the incarnation and the mission of Jesus Christ? Because it's good news. <laughs> it's good news. Because as Jesus said to Nicodemus, the, the, the wise teacher that came to him, the rabbi, came under the cover of night. Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In other words, your biology, your DNA has to change fundamentally if you're going to see eternal life. You have to be born again. And then he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Without Jesus Christ, we die spiritually and eternally. That is the good news. 
that Jesus Christ came. He came and didn't give us what we wanted. He gave us what we needed. He gave us a pardon for our sin. So that we could become born again. We could become new creation. We could become biological fathers, if you want to put it that way. We could become biologically holy. Have holy DNA. Right? This is why Jesus Christ came. And so we have this battle that characterizes the Christian life. We are constantly in battle to overcome the natural inclination to sin because we want to become increasingly holy. We are fighting the inclination to sin because that is our nature, but we've been given all the tools necessary to become holy or to realize the potential we are given when we become a new creation in Christ. We can become holy even though we are holy. So this is why we make every effort to be holy. I love what J.C. Ryle says. He says, a true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, not only peace of conscience, meaning they know they are right with God, there's peace between them and God. You know, that's, we sing that song, Blessed Assurance. It's not only that. It's not only about blessed assurance, but a true Christian is one who, is not, who has not only peace of conscience or that blessed assurance, but listen to this, but war within. <laughs> but war within. Inner conflict, inner strife, inner battle, fighting the natural self so that we can become more and more like Christ is the Christian walk. It is what it is to be a Christian. A true Christian is one who is not only peace of conscience, but war within. So let's just consider in closing the importance of accepting this key doctrine of our sinful nature. If we believe scripture, we are not by nature good. I'd get kicked out of a public school for saying that. <laughs> it's true. It, it's, that is not allowed. By, if we believe scripture to be true, we are by nature not good. We are not okay. It's not okay with God. Okay? We deserve, and this is really hard, we deserve eternal death. That's scripture. We deserve it. There's nothing in and of ourselves that can overcome sin. Scripture says your best efforts are like filthy rags that deserve being thrown in the trash or burned. Your best effort is trash. <laughs> when it comes to being in a right relationship with God, there's nothing you can do right. <laughs> nothing you can do right. To earn points with God or to be made right with God. The only thing 
that makes you right with God is if you've accepted Christ's pardon for your sin. If you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he did, or what we know he did, and has forgiven you your sin. So, we are in a very desperate situation without Christ. But if we believe Scripture also, we can choose to overcome our sinful nature by accepting God's gift of rebirth, becoming new, and engage in the daily fight to realize the fruit of our new nature. We can continually pursue holiness and become more and more and like, like Christ each day. Now sadly, there are some Christians who do not accept this concept of sin nature. They will be fully and wholly committed to Christ, but they don't accept that they're by nature sinful. They will model their lives after Christ, but they won't accept the fact that they need to be reborn. They refuse to accept the truth of their sinful nature. They see themselves as good people, and they see Jesus as a better person, so they seek to be like him but not to the extent that they will be crucified or crucify their self because it is by nature sinful. And so there are vast amounts of people who call themselves Christians, but they don't believe they are by nature sinful. But when you think about that, it makes a mockery of Jesus Christ. Think about it. It makes a mockery of Jesus Christ. Because if I'm okay without Christ dying a miserable death on the cross, he died for nothing. He was a fool. Right? Am I right? I am right. <laughs> he died for nothing. If I'm okay, like if Jesus came just to sort of show us how to live a better life, how to be more moral, or how to be more, you know, uh, loving, how, how to be a nicer person, or to be a, a more virtuous. If that's why Jesus came, why did he die? <laughs> Christ's singular reason, singular reason for incarnating, becoming like man, living amongst us, orchestrating his own brutal death, because that's what he did, and then rising to life was to allow for our rebirth. It's the only way we can get the new DNA. It's the only way we can become biological fathers. It's the only way that we can be right with God. He came to make us holy and to allow us to become holy. So the very first step to becoming holy is to accept that you are the opposite of holy. <laughs> you are sinful by nature and you need a savior. I'm just going to say, I, I, hopefully Tim and Kathy don't mind me saying this, but I've just been so, Tim and Kathy are, um, are uh, with a, a mission that 
goes to unreached people. And they've spent years and years um, bringing people, it's just unbelievable, but bringing people that had never seen a, a white person, let alone a white person with clothing. <laughs> like, like they, they went into a, an absolutely untouched people group. And they learned their language, put it to writing because they, the people didn't write their language, and then taught them their language, taught these people their language, so that they could teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our world today, we see that as appalling. How could you go in there and corrupt people? You're going in there to make them like yourself. You're going in there to westernize them. Well, you, you have to hear the stories from these guys, and we're going to have them talk uh, at some point. But this, the deal is that they, they have absolutely no problem accepting that they're sinful. <laughs> they are not offended. Why we in the West are we offended when I say you are sinful by nature? But people in deep as dark as Indonesia have no problem accepting that they're sinful. That's because Satan's got us wrapped around a finger, his finger here in North America. And he's got us thinking that good is bad and bad is good. He's got us so messed up in our thinking that, that going and liberating these people from bondage is a bad thing. But these people are overjoyed to hear that someone came to forgive their sins. Overjoyed. Liberated. And they have films that, you know, where these people, like, they're just, they're just so excited that they've been, they were sinners and they're, now they're not sinners anymore. God has accepted them. I mean, it, it's incredible. Holiness is the process whereby we realize the potential that's given to us when we are reborn in Christ and we become like a father grows in fatherhood, we become holy. And it's a battle. It's a battle. Every day it's a battle. If we take it seriously. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is a light to our paths. It fills our souls, it nourishes us, if we allow it to. Lord, I pray that you would humble us, that we would be willing to accept the truth that without you, we are lost and we are sinners and we deserve eternal separation from you. And help us to accept that we need a Savior. If we've never accepted you as Lord and Savior, if we've never admitted to you that we need 
a Savior. I pray, Lord, that we would, even now. And that we would, from this moment forward, pursue our new, our new challenge, our new hope, our new path of holiness to become increasingly like you. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name.